What's up, crew? Crypto adoption is inevitable, but it's a wild ride. Bitcoin is your store of value, but Ethereum is where you put crypto to work. Not your keys, not your coins. Invest for the long term, but trade the cycle. This is heavy. We're getting deep here. And then every four years, we do it again. Welcome to the BitLift Podcast. What's up, crew? Today, I'm taking you down a rabbit hole I've wanted to go down with you for a long time which is staking your ETH in Ethereum's new proof-of-stake network, and in particular how to earn yield staking your ETH the right way. It's a monster topic, so I brought on my buddy Pete, who's a local crypto geek here in Colorado, to help me out. Pete exhibits a lot of the values I look for when I'm looking for someone to learn from in the crypto space. He's an advocate for self-custody. He's curious. He likes to tinker and get his hands dirty. He's got a deep technical understanding of blockchains, but he's not afraid of the financial side of things either, without being overly financial. And being a crypto OG who's experienced past cycles firsthand, that doesn't hurt either. So I guess what got me into crypto, I was into crypto before crypto meant cryptocurrency. I, I was kind of wannabe cypherpunk back in the late 90s. I, I participated in some of the large distributed undertakings there, cracking triple des and things like that. So I heard about Bitcoin specifically, I don't know, 2010, 2011, something like that. And to me, it really seemed like another one of those projects, a big, great distributed thing that would be fun to be a part of. So I dabbled in it, obviously wish now I had done considerably more than dabbling in it, but it was, it was fun. It was like, can we actually make a financial system work in a distributed way? So over the years, I've gotten more and more involved in crypto. I, I started learning about Ethereum just a few years ago and taking a look at what smart contracts and Turing complete language can can be. And now I'm working with a number of Web3 startups and just trying to uh, move this forward and get this to the point of mass adoption and just explore the full potential of crypto. Proof of stake is what we call a consensus mechanism, or rather a way for nodes on a distributed network to agree with one another. It's just one of the ways. And understanding consensus is foundational to understanding all blockchains. So blockchain is really just a distributed ledger. We've used ledgers for keeping track of financial transactions for forever, for thousands of years. And you have, you have this problem of, let's say you have account A, and account A has 100 units in it. And now we have a transaction. So account A sends 50 units to account B and they send 70 units to account C. Well, we have a problem because account A only has 100 units and now we've spent 120. So the way we've always addressed that is we say that whichever of those transactions happened first is valid and whichever happened second is not valid. So if Uh the way I said it, if the transaction to account B is valid, now account A has 50 left. Now the transaction for 70 to account C is invalid. We don't recognize it. So prior to what we're now calling proof of work, you always had to have a centralized authority to determine that sequence, which of these transactions happened first. In the Bitcoin white paper, Satoshi solved the need for a centralized authority using proof of work. Proof of work is a consensus mechanism. It's a way for all nodes on a network to agree with one another a way for them to agree on which transaction came first. And it does this with a lottery. Bitcoin miners burn electricity by taking all the transactions which have occurred on the Bitcoin network since the last block 
and hashing it millions of times per second using SHA-256. They're trying to guess that winning lottery number. The second they have lottery numbers that match the current difficulty of the network, they broadcast it to all the other miners as proof. It's very easy for miners to verify one another's lottery numbers. And once verified, they instantly agree, because the only way to have discovered that magic winning lottery number was by putting in the work, by burning energy. It's proof that they had skin in the game and that they're playing by the rules. This is consensus, and this is how nodes on a distributed network come to agree with one another. Proof of work is how consensus on Ethereum has worked since day one. That is until the merge that happened in September of 2022, when Ethereum swapped out proof of work for proof of stake, a very different way of reaching consensus. Yeah, it is very different. And you know, Ethereum was certainly not the first network to use proof of stake, just for the record. In fact, right. I think in many ways, Ethereum let others go first and, and figure out what worked and what didn't, and, and then took some of the best practices and built Ethereum's proof of stake. So proof of stake is this idea that we still need to maintain consensus across a network. And we still need to incentivize people participating in a distributed network to participate honestly. So rather than having this big race to see who can solve a particular cryptographic problem the quickest, we have a system that incentivizes honest behavior and disincentivizes dishonest behavior directly. So in order to participate in proof of stake, you have to put forth a stake, which is some amount of you know, in this case, it's, it's ETH. It's something that's valuable in the network and valuable in, in real life. So you're putting forth stake, and the stake is basically a bond that you will act honestly. The definition of honest is, in truth of code is law, is very well defined if you go and, and, and read some of the, yeah. the good resources that there are on this. But you're pledging that you won't do things like propose two different blocks in the same slot. So as a, as a validator, if you were to propose two different blocks in the same slot, that's a malicious act. So that's the type of thing that we want to discourage. And you could lose some of your stake if you're caught doing this, right? Yeah, exactly. So we'll get into why, but there's certain behaviors like that. Making an attestation on two different blocks in the same time period is a similar, what we call a slashable offense. It's not like people are slashing other people. It doesn't work that way. It's it's a protocol. Right. So you have to do things that are sort of provably bad. So. We have this idea that we're going to guarantee honest behavior by putting something valuable at risk. And then if you do dishonest things, you lose what you put at stake. I see. And, you know, to simplify a little bit, these rules that you mentioned, like, they're quite complicated. There's a long list of rules, and these rules are written in code. And if you're running any of the validator node softwares, it's following the rules. It's actually pretty simple to be a validator. You fire up the software, you issue your stake which and we'll get into how much how much ETH you need in order to, to do this stake. And then your node follows the rules. It's programmed to follow the rules. The reason these rules have to exist, though, is because there are people who are technical enough to maybe get down dirty into the code and adjust these rules. And if they're caught doing so, they'll be, quote unquote, slashed and some of their Ethereum will be taken from their stake. Yeah, exactly. But why would anybody ever want to do that? Because you get rewards if you do honest things. Rewards. Now we're talking. This is why we're here. In Bitcoin, rewards are only issued to miners. And to be a miner, you have to buy specialized hardware and burn electricity, which some might argue is a waste of energy. But more importantly is that it costs a lot of money. 
But let's say you do it anyway, and you're lucky enough to stumble on a winning lottery number and propose a Bitcoin block. You'd receive two types of rewards. The first is the block reward. A block reward is issued every block to the miner who proposes the winning block. The block reward is currently 6.25 Bitcoin. And every 210,000 blocks, or about every four years, this block reward gets cut in half as an event known as the halving. You've probably heard of the halving. The second reward given to miners is transaction fees, all the transaction fees included in a block. You know that tiny sliver of BTC you tack onto every transaction you make? That goes to the miner who proposes the block your transaction gets included in. Someday, when block rewards run out, transaction fees will be the only reward left for Bitcoin miners. And this is how Ethereum used to work. You had to mine Ethereum using proof of work to earn rewards. But the Ethereum merge swapped out proof of work for proof of stake. And now you can earn rewards for just staking, which doesn't require specialized hardware or a ton of electricity. You actually, as a solo staker, you will get income. We're talking, you know, about 10,000 away at this point, which is, you know, not very much, but you get a little bit every six minutes as soon as you turn it on and come up to sync with the blockchain and have processed your stake. There's different ways that you get rewarded. You do get the, the attestation rewards. And when your validator is saying, this is what I believe the current head of the chain to be. Mm -hmm. And the way we reach consensus is by whichever block gets the most attestations ah. is the block that is the head of the chain. Yeah. And there's a block every 12 seconds currently in Ethereum. Yep. So just some terminology. So a block happens every 12 seconds. An epic happens every 32 blocks, which works out mm. to be every 6.4 minutes. So the way the attestation works is however many validators there are. And right now there's about 400,000 in the network. I expect that number to grow over time. Those get divided into 32 committees. And each committee gets assigned one particular block out of the epic. Uh -huh. Then we roll up the signatures from the participants in that committee and determine what the, you know, what the valid block is. So that's, that's attestation. And that is by far the most common reward that you're going to get as a validator. Cause you, again, you get that every okay. epic, every six minutes. Now there's also, you will get a proposer award. So once in a while, it's about every validator right now, I think can expect to be a proposer about once every two months. Hmm. And again, that's a function of there being 400,000 validators and we need a block every 12 seconds and you can do the math on that. And that's about how often you should be a proposer. Uh -huh. So that's where you actually get to propose the next block in the blockchain. And yep. for doing so this is that- the, the block reward equivalent on Bitcoin. Yeah. So for doing that, you, you get a couple of things. You get a block reward. You also get the priority fees that are in that block. So that's when you send a transaction uh, through Ethereum there's two things. There's the gas fees and then there's the priority fees. Gas fees are burned. Mm -hmm. The IP1559 priority fees go to the proposer who proposed that block. You may get MEV award, and, and that is basically where somebody can off-chain incentivize a proposer to include their transaction. There may be various reasons for wanting a transaction, wanting really, really bad a transaction to be in a certain block. So you would go to the proposer of that block and say, hey, I'll pay you half an ETH to put my transaction in your block, mm. right? So that's that's a really nutshell summary of of MEV. So there's that, and then the last thing quickly is is sync committee. So once every about three years, currently a given validator will be on sync committee for a day, and sync committee is a thing that that helps 
support this notion of lightweight clients. Mm -hmm. So we need a full node to sign what the current head of the chain is so that lightweight clients don't have to have the full state of the blockchain. So that's a service that you perform for lightweight clients and you get rewarded for doing that. And again, that's just, mm. it's a, it's an on-chain randomness source and every validator will eventually get to be on the sync committee, but it doesn't happen that often. So the rewards are actually pretty high when, when you're doing that, but you, you don't expect it to happen sure. too often. So there's, there's a lot of different ways that validators are rewarded is the, is the takeaway from this. And the fact that there's a lot of different ways that validators are rewarded actually makes it fairly difficult to compute things like what is the APR on validating. Uh -huh. You know, you can estimate it, you can, but, and that's, that's why sometimes you'll read a little bit different things because there's five different ways that validators are rewarded. Mm -hmm. And some of those come about every few months, some of them come about every few years. So you can figure out averages, and then all of this is a function of how many, how many validators do you have versus how many validators are on the network. You know, what, what sure. portion of the pie is yours, essentially. And that's constantly changing over time. And how much, what the transaction volume is at any given time. Sure. And when he's talking rewards, in every case, we're talking slivers of ETH, right? We're talking GUI. We're talking, that's every reward, so to speak, is paid in ETH, I would assume, right? There's no like token rewards yes. for being a validator yet. <laughs> yeah. And again, we're, we're just in the mode of like solo staking now. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into liquid staking, which is a topic for this uh, mm -hmm. in a moment. But you're talking to solo staking, it's all ETH. You have to stake in ETH. Rewards are ETH. So while solo staking is easier and more cost effective than mining, there are still some drawbacks. The first is the minimum requirement to be a validator is 32 ETH. That's a big chunk of change, around 40K, $40,000 when ETH is 1300 bucks a pop. Second, while your ETH is staked, you can't do anything with it. Like, for example, borrow against it or farm it to earn additional yield. Third is that staking is still a bit technical. It's designed to be as easy as possible, and it's getting easier every day. But setting up and running a validator at home is just not something most people are familiar with. And fourth, and this is a pretty ridiculous drawback of staking your ETH, is that currently, if you stake your ETH, it's locked up indefinitely. That's right, there's currently no way to withdraw your staked ETH. It was designed this way intentionally. Apparently, enabling withdrawals added more complexity to the transition to proof of stake. So withdrawals will be enabled in a future Ethereum update called the Shanghai Upgrade, which is expected to go live Q2 of 2023. Because of these drawbacks, only 13 to 14% of all the ETH is currently staked. That's 16 million ETH locked up until the Shanghai Upgrade. And of that 16 million staked ETH, only 30% is staked directly or solo staked. The remaining 70% of ETH is staked via liquid staking providers. These are projects that popped up to make staking easier. You give them your ETH, and they stake it for you for a small fee. They also give you a tokenized representation of your stake, known as an LSD, or a liquid staking derivative, which is pegged to the price of ETH and allows you to maintain your liquidity while you earn your staking rewards. This all sounds great, but there are some things to watch out for. All these LSDs work differently, so we'll go over the top LSDs and how they work in the next episode. Be sure to hit up bitlift.com slash podcast for links to everything we discussed here today. And if you got any questions or comments, come find me on crypto Twitter and say what up. That's twitter.com slash bitlift, B-I-T-L-I-F-T. 
And if you're deep down the crypto rabbit hole, come hang out with myself and a few hundred crypto geeks in the BitLift Discord at bitlift.com slash discord to connect. The hosts and guests of the BitLift podcast are not registered financial advisors. The thoughts and strategies discussed are simply personal opinions and should not be treated as financial advice or recommendation to make a particular investment. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Rewards. Now we're talking.